Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. On Monday, April 10th, 2023, I said goodbye to my family and I left for what was supposed to be a very short trip to Africa with a missionary from our church, J.T. Espejo, who actually happens to be here with me this morning, and our missions pastor. We were supposed to spend 36 hours in Rwanda and 48 hours in Sudan. We were exploring partnership with the Rwandan and the Sudanese Assemblies of God. Before we left for Africa, I had the same dream two nights in a row. God showed me a man that I would meet in Africa and a message that I was supposed to share with him. God loves you, he knows your name, and he has a plan for your life. And the second night of that dream, I felt God gave me the name of that man, Ahmad. Now, I took note of it, but I didn't really think much of it because, candidly, I rarely have dreams that make sense, and the majority of my dreams, I never want to come true because they are weird. (laughs) On Friday, April 14th, at 2 o'clock in the morning, we landed in Khartoum, Sudan. And our team leader in Sudan, Alberto, picked us up and he checked us into our hotel, the Corinthia, around three o'clock that morning. After four hours of sleep, we drove 30 minutes to a small community and we were amazed at what we saw. Thousands of mud-built homes filled with second and third generation refugees. They built their homes by hand on government land, knowing that at any moment, if the government wanted, they could bulldoze the entire community and kick them out. And we pulled up to a small, open-air, tarp-covered space, their church. And service was a beautiful experience. Watch. You may recognize that song, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. After they sang, I was invited to preach, and it was an incredible honor to speak to them and share about Jesus's love. And that final calm morning in Sudan, before all hell broke loose, I shared one of my favorite Bible promises. It's found in John 16, Verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Only God knew what would happen less than 24 hours later. The children and the adults in that service would experience this world trouble like never before. Saturday morning, April 15th, while waiting in our hotel room on the eighth floor of the Corinthia Hotel, we looked out over the Nile River at the city of Khartoum. And all of a sudden, uh, across the river, we saw some movement on the other side that looked kind of strange. We quickly grabbed a camera and we took a picture, but we, we really couldn't tell what was going on. Later, we, will, we were able to zoom in and we now know that it was the military preparing for a firefight across the river in our direction. At 10.05 a.m., we saw and heard the first explosions that began the battle in Khartoum. 
and we quickly realized that this was much more than just a political demonstration. The bombs got louder and closer. The building rattled from the concussion of the explosions. The hotel lobby was filled with about 22 guests from all over the world and around 30 staff. Continual bursts of gunfire on the streets echoed through the large empty lobby. We sat there with no information, unsure of what was happening and wondering if our building would be the next target. Now, it's certainly a flaw in my personality, but I ran the worst case scenario about a hundred times. And faced with a new anxiety and fear, the reality that this could be my last moments alive, I wondered, am I okay with dying? And sitting on the couch in the lobby, positioned between large pillars and walls, as the sounds of gunfire and bombs continued all around us, I just closed my eyes and I began to pray. I asked the Lord to forgive me. I asked him to take care of my wife, Meredith, and the rest of our family and that his will would be done. Tensions were high. We were all on edge. There were a lot of what's ifs, what ifs and uncertainty. And so the staff turned on the news, which was in Arabic. Now, you don't know this, but we don't speak Arabic. So trying to figure out what the news was saying was absolutely comical. We discovered that Google Translate has a photo feature. You can take a picture of a language and it will change it into English. So we took pictures of headlines trying to determine what they were saying. And it wasn't always perfect. My favorite headline of the whole time said this, the Sudanese army and the rapid support exchanged accusations of groceries in the stomach. (laughs) And as they were shooting at each other, I thought, If this is all over lettuce, we gotta stop. This is ridiculous. (laughs) But we watched the news as the conflict escalated. The international airport was bombed and captured by the militia. A local TV and radio station was captured. The city was falling apart and we were right in the middle of it. Our hotel was half a mile down the street from the presidential palace where the fighting was the worst. And we knew it was bad but we had no idea how long the journey would last. That afternoon on the phone, my dad encouraged us to start a journal of everything that was happening. We called it our captain's log. Just reading the log would take longer than we have in this service. It's 36 pages long, filled with the ups and downs of our experience in Sudan, where things happened and when things happened. That night, we decided to stay in one room together. Something about being together brought comfort and security. We brought two twin-sized mattresses from one room and put them on the floor of another room. It was like camp is what it felt like. At 10.30 p.m., the end of our first day in the war zone, we decided to try and go to sleep. But a mere 41 minutes later, at 11.11 p.m., we heard the sound of a fighter jet. It started in the distance and got increasingly louder as the jet approached. The walls of the hotel began to rattle as the low-flying jet got nearer and nearer. And then suddenly we heard a new sound. It was a missile being fired from the jet. A second after we heard the missile fire, 
we heard what I can only describe as the whooshing sound as the missile flew right past our hotel and struck its target directly across the Nile River. We carefully peeked through the curtains as the sky immediately lit up from the flames of the explosion. And all around us, the dark sky was painted in amber tint from the flames of the burning buildings and vehicles being hit by airstrikes. The fighting never stopped. The entire night, we were abruptly woken up by the rattle of jets passing our hotel, the concussion of bombs, the sounds of unending gunfights. And we woke up the next morning and we peeked out of our hotel window and we noticed a new hole in the roof of our hotel near our room. Later, we found out from the staff that in the middle of the night, a mortar strike hit our hotel. But that's miracle number one. Out of all the bombs that exploded and destroyed their targets all week long, somehow that bomb didn't explode. They found it sitting on the floor of an office in the hotel. Days two through six were filled with unending fighting, close calls with bombs, trips to the basement for safety, fake news, ups and downs emotionally. Because of the danger of sleeping in our rooms, we moved downstairs to the floor of the spa. And for the remainder of our stay, we slept on pool chair cushions on the tile floor. And I'll just tell you, spa days really aren't that great. <laughs> News of supposed ceasefires resulted in people trying to leave, while other hotel staff came to the hotel because it was safer than their homes that were being bombed. But every ceasefire wasn't. There was always shooting. Some people left on foot. Some drove themselves out. Some made it safely. But others no one knew. Still others were turned back because they were shot at while trying to leave the hotel. One day our Lebanese friend Abderman left. And the report we heard was that Abderman never made it to his destination. Everyone assumed that he was killed. Each day, someone, our government, private companies, the UN, other NGOs told us to be ready because they were coming. Our instructions were, be ready because when we come, you won't have much time. We lived with our backpacks attached, our passports in our pockets, always on edge. I slept fully dressed with shoes on for five days. All day, every day, we waited to be rescued, but no one ever came. And the reports were always the same. We tried, but the fighting is just too fierce. We, we can't get to you. The mornings were filled with the expectation of being rescued, and the evenings were filled with the reality that nobody was coming. It was difficult, and it was discouraging. We held on to hope. Every day we spent time in God's word, worship, and in prayer. And our daily discouragement was met with a daily renewal from the Lord. He met us at our lowest and he continued to remind us that he was there. And we clung to this verse through all of the disappointment and all of the discouragement. Psalm 20 verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. On day seven, after another full day of fighting and disappointment, I noticed a new waiter at the restaurant. 
as he was serving us, we, we laughed, we asked him about his family, but I never caught his name. And as we were leaving, I introduced myself to him and I asked him his name and he told me that his name was Ahmad. Now you're a little bit quicker than I was. We left, we went back to the spa and then all of a sudden it hit me. And tears filled my eyes as I realized that I had just met the guy in my dreams that I had before ever coming. The one that God wanted me to share his love with. And at that moment for me, it was like a light bulb came on. Could it be possible that the entire reason for everything we were going through, the reason we were stuck in the Corinthia Hotel, the reason that no one could get to us was that it would take six days for Ahmad to show up to the hotel in the middle of a war and that he was on God's heart. My God concept allows for that. And I knew I had to talk to him. And that's miracle number two. In the middle of the worst possible situation, God arranged a divine encounter. I went back, I pulled him aside, and I told him that I wanted to talk to him. Tears filled my eyes as I told Ahmad the dream that I had weeks before coming to Africa, that God told me that I would meet him and that he had a message for him. And I began to tell Ahmad that God loved him, that he knew his name and that he had a plan for his life. Tears filled his eyes. A big smile replaced the look of discouragement that was there before. And I asked Ahmad if I could pray with him. And together, in the middle of a civil war, at the bar of the LaGrille in the Corinthia Hotel basement, we prayed. It was one of the most special moments of my entire life. I prayed that God would bless Ahmad and his family and that he would have a divine encounter with Jesus. I lost touch with Ahmad last July. And I haven't heard from him. My prayer is that he's okay, that he's alive, that I will see him again someday and he will tell me that he has placed his hope and his faith in Jesus. That was encouraging and was a reminder that we were in the will of God. In addition, we were encouraged because of the army of people praying for us and the teams back home who were working one verse we often repeated was 2 Kings 6.16. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. We heard from my dad every day with reports of a new person who joined our team and was working to try and get us out. Politicians, military members, extraction specialists, and so many more. I will forever be grateful to all the people who tirelessly exhausted their resources and contacts to find a way for us to escape. We remained hopeful that someone would come because U.S. Embassy employees were also staying in our hotel. We knew that the government would eventually have to come for them and there was no way that they would leave us behind. We'd lost all faith and trust in private companies who said they were coming but never came. But we knew that the government was our key to escaping. And I remember one night on the phone telling my dad, my greatest fear is being left by the United States. They are our only hope. On day eight, we went to breakfast and we were quickly hit with a hard blow. The manager of the hotel told us that in the middle of the night, the embassy workers had left the hotel. Now that was hard to hear. We were right there, 
but for some reason, they didn't take us. We let the team at home know, but they were still confident that they were going to come and extract us, that we just needed to be patient and not panic. And I snuck away to one of the massage rooms in the spa and I just laid on the table and I just began to cry out to God because I knew that there was no one left to rescue us. We were going to be stuck there. We were probably going to die there. What were we going to do? God, God, you could stop the fighting if you wanted to. You could get us out of here. What are you doing? Why are we still here? And it wasn't an audible voice, but it was as close as it's ever been. And the Lord just said to me, do you trust me? Everyone and everything else has failed, but do you trust me? God lovingly corrected me. I'd put my trust in in everything and everyone else instead of trusting that he was in control. And my fears and anxieties and frustration were met with a new sense of peace because I knew that God was in control. And no matter what, I was going to trust him because some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. On Sunday April 23rd, day nine in the war zone. I woke up at 2.30 in the morning with a text from my dad about a possible extraction that night. Moments later, we lost all communication. We had no Wi-Fi, we had no data. And his last instructions were, if you hear a helicopter, go out in the parking lot and start waving your arms. Now the problem with that instruction was they were shooting anyone that went out there and I'm confident they were gonna shoot a crazy white man running out in a parking lot waving his arms and screaming. So I wasn't confident about following that instruction. But thank the Lord, Pastor Randy had brought a satellite phone that we were able to use to communicate a few brief words through text occasionally. The only way we could do that is we went to the very top floor and we laid on the ground behind air conditioning units so nobody would see us and held it up over our heads. But our extraction never happened. And early that morning, the news confirmed that the embassy had completely evacuated the country. They were gone. They left us. And we were frustrated and we were hurt, but some trust in chariots, some in horses, some in governments, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Our government let us down, but God's better than the government. It was a challenging time. Having limited communication with home was really, really hard, and on top of that, our team at home let us know that all the options were falling apart at the same time. There were no answers, there were no solutions, they were scrambling, and we were stuck. But our trust and our hope and our faith were no longer in governments or companies or people. We knew that the only way we would get out was God, that he would make a way in his timing. Day 10, Monday, April 24th, felt different from the start. We had lost all phone service, all internet, and our only way to communicate was through that sat phone. 
At breakfast that morning, a reporter from Al Jazeera, an Arabic Muslim TV network who had moved their crew into our hotel, asked, why are you still at the hotel? Well, we'd love to not be here at the hotel, but there's this small war happening outside, and we're probably not going to just take off walking down the streets to get murdered. But that's when we discovered that almost everyone had left. It was us, the news team, one really, really odd French guy, and a few hotel employees. At 9.30 that morning, we began having our God time, and worship was powerful. The Spirit of God just fell into our hotel room. Something was moving. Something was changing. Pastor Randy opened up his Bible, and he began to read from 2 Samuel chapter 22. And that passage quickly moved from an encouraging declaration of the power of God into a prophecy of what was going to happen in our situation. Verse 7 through 12 says this, In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. And from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the heaven shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. And I want you to remember this, verse 12. He made darkness his canopy around him. The dark rain clouds of the sky. At 1.30 p.m., we looked out of our window and in the distance we saw what looked like a dark cloud. Alberto, who has lived in Sudan a very long time, said, that can't be a cloud. It can't be. We don't get clouds in Sudan. You see, it's the dry and hot season in the desert of Sudan. It's not like summer for us when we have an occasional rain cloud. They don't get rain. They have sandstorms, but they never have rain. But this was clearly a dark cloud, and the cloud was moving towards us. And we knew that this was a sign from God. Something was about to happen. And that's miracle number three. The glory of God appeared like a dark cloud and cast its shadow over the entire city of Khartoum. And at that moment, we got a message on the sat phone that the hotel was no longer safe and we had to get out. We had to go. We went to Al Jazeera, the Arabic Muslim TV station that was staged in the hotel. Pastor Randy had connected with a guy he met, Abdul. Well, it turns out, even though he had prayed with him and prayed for his family, he didn't really get his full story. Well, Abdul was the director of Al Jazeera in Sudan, and he was highly connected to high-ranking officials on both sides of the war. And so we asked him if there was any way he would be willing to get us to a place of safety. He called his personal driver, and he agreed to get us out. Abdul told us to pack light, to be ready, and to call him if we had any trouble. He would ensure our safety. I want to read another verse from 2 Samuel 22, verse 44. You have delivered me from the attacks of the peoples. You have preserved me as the head of the nations. People I did not know now serve me. We went to our room. 
We filled our backpacks with bottles of water and a few essential things. And moments later, there was a knock on our door. The driver was ready. We ran to the lobby. We were about to run outside when all of a sudden our phones started dinging and got notifications. And that's miracle number four. Somehow, even though communications were blocked in the entire city, our connection was restored just as we were about to walk out. We quickly called our families and told them the plan. I told my dad we were leaving and he handed the phone to my wife, Meredith, for the hardest eight second phone call of my life. And we cried, but in my heart, I knew that we had nothing to fear. God was going to deliver us to safety. We hung up, we walked outside, and the moment we walked out the front door, the thickest of the dark clouds were over us and a raindrop fell and hit the ground. And we knew this was a sign from God. And as we walked down the ramp to the car, rain slapped the concrete all around us. Miracle number five. We were filled with peace even as we walked outside into the war zone to begin a drive that had resulted in death for many others. We hopped in the van and we began our 25-minute drive to a hotel on the other side of town called the Rotana where it was safer. Miracle number six, for the first time in 10 days, we never heard a gunshot. The entire drive, there was nothing but peace. It was one of the worst scenes I've ever seen in my life. We passed through two different checkpoints with no trouble. We drove past countless militia members who didn't even look at us. The now rain-soaked streets were littered with bullet casings holes in every building we passed from tanks and mortars and RPGs and I will never forget the smell. The only way I can describe it is the smell of war. Our driver carefully navigated through back alleys, dirt roads and fields and finally after 25 minutes we pulled into the Rotana in an Al Jazeera van and that's miracle number seven. God used the most unlikely method possible to get us to safety. The Arabic Muslim TV network loaded three American preachers and a missionary into their van and drove them to safety. Only God could do that. And guess who was standing at the door of the hotel when we pulled up? Our Lebanese friend, Abdurman. Sadly, we had made it safe to the hotel but our missionary was still separated from his wife and his two teenage daughters who were also stuck in the middle of heavy fighting in a different part of Khartoum. That morning, the girls had run out of food and water, so they decided to leave the apartment on foot and to walk three miles through heavy fighting to make it to the Rotana. Their journey took them through the middle of the RSF territory, the bad guys. They're known for committing horrible atrocities to women, And when we arrived to the Rotana, the girls were still somewhere making their journey towards us. We couldn't get to them. Alberto decided to go on foot, but had to turn back because it was too dangerous. And some of our group were standing outside of the front door of the Rotana when all of a sudden two RSF trucks pulled up to the entrance, filled with armed soldiers, RPGs, and 50 caliber machine guns mounted on the back of the truck. People all around them panicked, 
ran inside, hid behind bushes, laid on the ground because they were scared. The trucks pulled around to the entrance of the hotel and they stopped. They motioned to Alberto and called him over and suddenly the back door of the truck opened and out crawled his wife and two daughters. That's miracle number eight. The RSF, the bad guys, the Islamic extremists delivered the girls to us and to safety. Only God could do that. We were safe, but we still had to escape Sudan. And we had two significant obstacles in front of us. The desert and the Red Sea. Does that sound rather familiar? The next morning we got on a very, very scary bus with other refugees for a 17-hour ride through the desert. It was our only option. There have been reports of buses breaking down in the desert, looters robbing buses, and the RSF assaulting people making their journey. The road was the worst road that I've ever been on in my life, and I'm from Arkansas. We got bad roads. Many times, that road was just sand. The other bus that was traveling with us broke down in the middle of the desert. We were stopped at 17 checkpoints by the military or the RSF. It was the longest 17 hours of my life. But miracle number nine, our bus never broke down. We had no trouble at the checkpoints. And after 17 hours, we made it to Port Sudan. When we arrived in Port Sudan, we went to a refugee staging area where there were over 700 other people trying to escape Sudan. There were reports of people having to wait two days to get their passport stamped to be able to board ships to get out. Within five hours of waiting outside in the middle of the night, we had our passport stamped. And seven hours later, we boarded a Saudi Arabian Navy warship. And that's miracle number 10. God delivered us from Sudan across the Red Sea by using the Saudi Navy. Saudi Arabia is the capital of Islam, but they rescued us. And after 21 hours of laying on the top deck of a Saudi warship, we arrived in Jeddah. And two days later, 14 days after the war began, we arrived home and we were reunited with our families. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. There are many lessons that we learned during our time in Sudan. We will never be the same. We are closer to God and we have greater faith than ever before. But I think the most important lesson for all of us to learn is that nothing is impossible for God. Our situation was hopeless. Our situation was impossible, but God was able to do the impossible. Miracle after miracle, God did what no one else could do. And all glory and all honor go to him. Listen, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how the enemy is attacking you. I don't know what desperate situation you may be in in your life, but can I just encourage you today that nothing is impossible for God. 
it may seem hopeless. It may seem like there is nothing that can be done, but God can do the impossible. And I just wanna pray for you today. So if you just bow your heads and if you just say, Parker, I need a miracle in my life. I am in a hopeless and a desperate situation and I have no answers, but I need something to happen. Something's gotta change. If that's you today, I just want you to raise your hand so that I can pray with you. Yeah, it's a lot of us. A lot of us. Lord, I pray today for those who are here, those who are watching online, who are in a hopeless and a desperate situation. Lord, you are the God of the impossible. Lord, you are the God who has ordered and ordained our steps. Nothing is a surprise to you. You know what they're facing. You know what they're going through. Lord, I pray that you would begin to just do the impossible in their situations. Lord, if you can, if you can bring a rainstorm to the desert of Sudan to rescue your children from the attacks of the enemy, you can do whatever they're needing in their situation. Lord, I pray for breakthroughs to happen that have needed to happen for a long time. Lord, I pray for financial miracles to take place for people who need to be financially rescued. Lord, I pray for healing over bodies. Lord, I pray for somebody today who has a diagnosis from a doctor that is hopeless and helpless. Lord, I pray that you would just miraculously do what only you can do that you would touch them in the name of Jesus and your healing power would flow through their body. Lord, I pray that you would begin to restore relationships that have been broken. Lord, I pray for people who are just in desperation that, Lord, you would hear their cry from your throne of heaven and you would come down and you would rescue them. You would deliver them. You would free them. And, Lord, you would provide and you would do what only you can do. And Lord, when you do it, when you do it, when the miracle happens, we will give all glory and all honor to you because you are the God of the impossible. So Lord, I speak impossible miracles to begin to happen over people who are in desperate, hopeless situations. Lord, I pray that they would be encouraged today that you are with them and you are fighting for them and you are walking with them hand in hand, that they can trust in you, that you are faithful and your promises and your word is true. And Lord, we pause today and we pray for our friends in Sudan, our brothers and our sisters who are still in a desperate, dangerous situation. Lord, I pray that your presence would meet them in the midst of chaos and darkness, that you would just begin to reveal yourself to people. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to the leaders of the RSF and to the leaders of the Sudanese military, and you would begin to just change their hearts and change their lives, and that they would just bow down to, to the, on their knees at the throne of Jesus, and things would begin to change. Lord, I pray that just as so many times before, 
when this, when the peace is finally restored to Sudan, the church of Jesus Christ would emerge from the rubble. That we would hear stories of, of your power and your work and your word being spread across the entire land in the middle of this chaos and revival would begin to break out in Sudan. Lord, I believe that one day every nation and every tongue and every tribe will bow down to the name of Jesus. And I look forward to the day that when I'm in heaven at the throne, I can kneel together with those who are in Sudan and heard about you because people were willing to go and share. So Lord, open doors for our pastors who are there. Open doors for our missionaries to lead people to Jesus, the giver of peace and the giver of hope and the giver of life. Lord, we worship you. We thank you because you are faithful and you are a good, good God. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday. Have a great week.